From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. that Greg hates to not teach. So for me to be here while he's here, that means something. Um, yeah, I'm Mike Napa. I, I, um, I'm on the teaching team. And I, first thing I got to do is I, there's something I should have done last week. I'm going to be honest with you. I chickened out. Is there anybody here named Bess? Is there anybody here named Bess? Okay, it's good for, good for the next service. I know I got time. <laughs> good. So a couple weeks ago, I visited a, uh, a gospel church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it was the good kind of church where the preacher gets up to preach, and he's preaching like two hours worth, so I, I'm not going to do that to you today. Um, but he preached for about two hours, and he was into it. He was, he was, he was, he was promoting Jesus, and he was excited, and, and sometimes he was singing, and sometimes he was shouting, and sometimes he was whispering. It was nice. Um, the good thing about it was that we in the congregation got to participate. I mean, we got to shout, we got to clap, we got to stomp our feet. Um, we, wanted, we wanted to sing. There was a guy back there who sang. And um, what I thought was entertaining, though, was um, there were moments in the, in the sermon when this gospel preacher would get a little agitated. He'd get frustrated because we have, in the congregation would kind of let down. I mean, he, two hours is a long time for a sermon. And he would kinda, we'd kind of let down, and he thought we weren't participating enough. And when that happened, he was a bald man. When that happened, he would just start slapping his head. He'd do it three times. One, two, three. He'd go, you don't, y'all don't want to hear this. Y'all don't want me to preach today. Y'all don't want to know anything about Jesus today. And, and I got to tell you, it worked. We got involved. We got excited. So um, I'm not bald, obviously, but I got some parking space up here. So if, if something happens and I feel like you guys are not paying attention, I'm not afraid to slap my head and let it go. So a couple weeks ago, not a couple weeks ago, uh, probably a few years ago, I was... Uh, singing to myself, as I do, and I sang the song, you know, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and I got to that part, and I stopped, and I thought, well, you know what, I know Jesus loves me, I know that, um, but I don't think I know it because the Bible just told me about it, I don't think I know it because somebody said, hey, Jesus loves you, you got it, buddy. And so I started really working through that. Well, what does it mean? How do I know this so surely, so cer- with such certainty? Um, beyond just the testimony of Scripture or the testimony of, of someone else saying the words to me. And so I, I kind of camped out in 1 Corinthians 13, where we've been camping out for a while, as you know. Uh, and I started reading in here about love is patient, love is kind, or as Greg taught us, love is patiently kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, so on and so forth and so on. And we can go ahead and put that next slide up. Um, and I thought, I, I spent several weeks just reading that verse over and over. When I was a younger man, I used to try to read through Scripture all, you know, all through the Bible in a year, get through it, just got to get, make some territory coverage. And as I got older, I realized, you know what, I'm just going to keep reading the same thing until God speaks to me, until God is done speaking to me. Um, and so I, I got stuck in this. Oh, thanks, my brother. <laughs> Thank you. I got stuck in 1 Corinthians 13 for a long time, and God was speaking to me, speaking to me, and then I realized um, 1 John 4, 16 came to mind. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them, and I thought, well, you know what? If, if God is love 
and love is all these things in 1 Corinthians, then I should be able to see that. I should be able to know that because this description, this definition of love that, that the Apostle Paul gave in 1 Corinthians 13 is, is not just a definition. Paul described what love is by telling what love does. Love is patient, love is kind. And I thought, well, I wonder then if when Paul was working on 1 Corinthians 13, if the image that he had in his mind was that of Jesus Christ, if he was saying to himself, you know, I know love because I know Christ, and Christ is patient, Christ is kind, Christ is not envy, and I thought, well, yeah, maybe that's how I know Jesus loves me, not because of what it just said to me. Maybe I know Jesus loves me because Christ showed it to me, and I thought, well, I wonder if I could find that anywhere. I wonder if I could find these things, and so I picked the hardest one, the first one, love is patient. I said, was Christ patient with anybody ever in Scripture? And you guys, you you can guess what I found out, right? Yeah. So I ended up in, in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through uh, 42. And we're going to read this in a second. But first I want to tell you a story about this past week because 4th of July was on Wednesday, right? So for some reason, the celebration of our nation's independence uh, meant that my next-door neighbor turned up his stereo to 11 for about 16 hours. And he had about 40 or 50 people in his yard just having a good time. And I was all upset for two reasons. First of all, I wasn't invited. <laughs> I live right next door to the guy. I could have brought, you know, brought some brats or something. But secondly, man, that was just annoying. It was just loud all day long, and people were drinking beer, and there's garbage. And, well, they're pretty clean, actually. I can't say that. But there was just noise all day long. And if you know anything about me, you know I just like to have a little peace and quiet in my life. And I thought, this man is an annoying neighbor. And I'm going to remember this because on Sunday morning I'm going to talk, and I want to talk about an annoying neighbor that was in the crowd when Jesus came marching through. So now let's read um, Mark 10, verses 46 through 52. They came to Jericho, and as they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more. God, that guy was annoying, wasn't he? We're just trying to get him to shut up, and he just keeps shouting. He shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped, and he said, call him. So they called to the blind man. Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now now somebody should be saying amen, I think. (laughs) Hallelujah, preach, preacher, that kind of stuff. All right, look. Today, uh, we're going to do what I call a then and now exploration of this passage. We're going to dig into first what happened in that situation then and realize we talk about these as Bible stories. They're not stories. They're history, things that actually happened, real people. Uh, But we're going to talk about what happened then in that situation, and then we're going to see if there's any application for us now. Um, So let's start. Let's start by talking about Mr. Bartimaeus. What do we know about... Bartimaeus in this this situation. Well, first we know where he was. We know he was in Jericho. Now, what we don't really catch all the time is that Jericho was not just 
one dot on the map. It was kind of a, a, a metro area almost. Uh, let's put this map up here for a second. So if you see Jericho here on the, on the east side of this, and then the Jesus was heading on this blue road down to Jerusalem. Well, actually, it's up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was higher elevation, but it was south, uh, southwest of Jericho. Um, and in this spot, we know that, that Bartimaeus was up here in this metro area of Jericho. What we don't know is that, what we don't often know, is that this wasn't just this one spot. There was actually an old Jericho and a new Jericho. The old Jericho, as you can imagine, would be the, the place where Joshua was. It was kind of in the ruins at this time. It was kind of broken down, and that's where kind of the poorer class, it's the other side of the tracks, folks. Some of you know what that means. It's the other side of the tracks there in old Jericho. Let's go ahead and switch to the next slide. Um, and that was kind of about almost two miles, and then a little bit north of that, King Herod uh, of Israel, the king of the Jews at that time, he had decided that he wanted to build a palace in that area because it was a beautiful area, and um, he didn't want to live on the wrong side of the tracks. So he built up, and he, he sent some people out there, and they built up the north part of Jericho into this nice, fancy, really cool place. And so what happened then is there was actually two entrances to Jericho. You could walk, if you're walking from Jericho, New Jericho down to Jerusalem, you would exit New Jericho. You'd have to walk through Old Jericho and then down the road. And that's probably why a lot of scholars think that Luke, when he talks about this, he talks about Jesus entering Jericho, whereas Mark talks about leaving Jericho because Bartimaeus was most likely right there in the middle of that spot, just outside of New Jericho where he wouldn't have belonged. They, he would have been kicked out of there pretty quickly but before the entrance to old Jericho. And so as Jesus is walking this way, we know this is probably where Bartimaeus was located. So we know where he was. We also know his infirmity. Now, he was a blind man. It's tough enough to be blind today, right? We, we understand that. Um, what we don't understand is maybe the difficulty it was to be a blind man in those times. You see, in ancient times in this area, um, Blindness was often considered a curse, a curse of God, punishment from God. Uh, in fact, you can see in John chapter 9 when the apostles, the apostles and Jesus are walking by a different blind man, the first thing they say to Jesus is, hey, who sinned? Was it this guy who was born blind who apparently must have sinned in the womb, I guess? I don't know. Or was it his parents who sinned? That was the assumption. If you have this kind of infirmity, you were cursed by God. It was because of some great evil that you did. Um, the other spot where that happens is... is um, punishment that God inflicted on the Arameans when they tried to arrest his prophet, uh, Elisha, back in, uh, let's see, that was 2 Kings chapter 6. The Aramean army surrounds Elisha. Elisha says, don't worry, there's more with us than against us. Boom, God punishes the other army, makes them all go blind. So this is the beginning of this man's life, is he is blind and he's suddenly uh, viewed as cursed, not only by everyone else, but you've got to assume he thought so himself. I must have done something wrong. God has cursed me with this blindness. Blindness with also humiliation. Samson is an example, example of that. When the, when the Philistines, when they conquered Samson, the first thing they did was poke his eyes out and say, and then send him treading a mill like a donkey. I promise not to say bad words today, so I didn't use the other word there. Um, <laughs> just so you know, I, God and I, when we talk, we use all the words. But anyway... As if that was not enough. There you go. 
the blind man at that time was even ineligible to be a priest. So if he was part of the tribe of Judah and supposed to be a priest, he was, he was locked out of that. There really was only one thing next that we learned about uh, Bartimaeus. We know he's poverty. We know that his life consists of a scrabble every day trying to get food, trying to get just the basics of, of his, um, of his existence. Um, he was unemployable. He was forced to just beg. And what he would do is, they would t- this is what they would do, he would sit on the side of the road, and he had a cloak, he would lay that cloak out on his lap, and he would shout, alms for the blind, alms, alms for the blind, and he would hope that people, mostly tourists, as they're traveling back and forth, would drop a, a coin there, or maybe some crust of bread, and this was his existence, this was his life. Every day, you get up and go to work, and you complain about the coffee being cold. Every day, you might get up, and you, you complain about traffic, because it takes you ten minutes to get to work instead of five. Compare that to Bartimaeus, right? He's standing there on the side of the road, and all he can do is yell, alms for the blind, and hope, hope that somebody cares. That's, that was a hopeless existence. We know about bl- his name. We know that Bartimaeus, we know his name and his father's name, and here's the bitter irony of that. His, we know that Bar means son, and Timaeus was his father's name, so son of Timaeus. So the name Timaeus actually means honor. And so Bartimaeus' name literally meant son of honor. And you've got to feel like that's just got to be a bitter, bitter disappointment, both to the father and the son, to say, I'm supposed to be the son of honor, and yet here I am in the lowest position, begging for just the scraps, unable to see, unable to, to even understand a lot of what's happening. We also see that Bartimaeus, uh, we know about his persistence. Mark 10:48. I think that's one of the next slides, right? No, that's not. We'll just leave that up there for a minute. We'll come back to that. Uh, Mark 10, 48. They tell him to shut up. They said, Bartimaeus, you are so annoying. Stop with all that noise. And what does he do? He shouts all the more. He just shouts all the more. Jesus, son of David. So we understand this man, he learned persistence. He was a survivor. He understood what it meant to get what he needed out of life. And what he needed at that moment, I'm going to about to slap my head here in a second. What he needed at that moment was Jesus. He needed Jesus. All right. We also understand this about Bartimaeus, his faith. Mark 10, 52, Jesus, Jesus said that clearly. Your faith has healed you. And we see it in his actions alone. It's just the fact that he refused to give up. He believed that Jesus had what he needed, and he refused to give up on that. Those are the main things that we often see quickly in the, in the verse, but there are two things I think that we often miss about Bartimaeus. And the first one is here in, in Mark 10, 50. Look at what this says here, people. Uh, go back to the, to the other one. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet. He's calling to you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Maybe you didn't catch that. Throwing his cloak aside. Remember what I was telling you about the blind beggars, what they did? Every day, all they did was sit on the side of the road and lay out that cloak. That was their place of business. That was their income. That was their their meaning and substance was that cloak, that ratty old cloak, because that was where people would put their their coins. That was where people would put the bread and the, and the, the leftovers that they wanted to think. And that was the cloak that he would wrap up in a bundle and then rummage through to get what he needed at the end of the day. And that was the cloak that he would sleep in at night. He'd wrap up in that cloak and hold that cold out as much as he could from that cloak. When the sun got hot, he would raise that thing above his head and block the sun with that thing. That was his food, shelter, and clothing. And what did he do? 
Come on, church, you don't want me to preach, do you? You don't want me, you don't want me to talk about Jesus, do you? He threw that thing aside. He said, I don't need it anymore. I've got Jesus. He threw it aside. Do you understand what he gave up? This was before he got the healing. This was before anything had actually happened. And in that moment, he said, I will choose Jesus and nothing else. It's all or nothing. Jesus. Sorry, I get happy sometimes when I start speaking. Look at the other thing in, in Mark 10, 52. He received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, look at the absolute next sentence. As they approached Jerusalem. Now, we know that Jesus had a large crowd with him. We know that he wasn't always just followed by those 12 disciples. So what happens here, it appears, and Bible historians back this up, it appears that Bartimaeus threw aside his cloak, got his healing, immediately became a disciple of Jesus, not, not the inner circle, but the outer circle of disciples. And he followed Jesus along the road. He walked into Jerusalem with Jesus. He was there when the triumphal entry happened. He was probably there when Jesus cleansed the temple and took a whip and told the money changers to get out. He was, he was likely there. He was, well, he probably wasn't there at the arrest, but he was likely there to see his, his Savior crucified one week after that man had healed him of blindness. And it's likely that he was part of that group that Jesus appeared to. You know, they talk about Christ appeared to 500 disciples at, at one time after, after the resurrection. It's likely that he was there to see Jesus Christ with his own eyes come back to life. In fact, um, you know, I can't prove this, but tradition tells us that Bartimaeus actually went on to become an evangelist for Christ and, and taught about him. And I, I can't remember. I tried to find it, but I, I don't have my books that I needed. <laughs> um, I think he might have actually been martyred uh, for Christ. But here's something interesting that we need to know. In the book of Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, there are only two people who received miracles that Mark called out by name. One was Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. And it makes sense that he would be named because he's the leader of the synagogue. The other one is the worthless blind beggar man. And a lot of historians believe that the reason, why, the reason why Bartimaeus is named so clearly and that we know so many details about him is because Bartimaeus was a known quantity to Mark, or at least to Peter, who, who told this gospel to Mark. He was a known quantity among the believers, and so when they said the name Bartimaeus, oh yeah, I remember old Barty. He came and preached in my church. This is the man... Um, that we have. So this is what we know. Bartimaeus stuck around. This is what we know about Bartimaeus in this situation. And now, what do we know about Jesus Christ in this situation? And I'm going to fly through something. I'm not going to give you everything I've got, people. I hope that's okay. Um, here's what we know about Christ in this situation. He was patient. He was patiently kind. Look what happened here. Bartimaeus was annoying, he was demanding and undeserving, yet Jesus responded to him in a totally unexpected way, in a way that God's love always does. He was patient. And he turned his face to Bartimaeus. It changed everything back then. And now, let's see if that changes anything for us today. Let's talk about this. If Christ is patient, if love is patient and Christ is love and love is patient, then 
Christ's patience does something really important for us. It grants us his attention. Come on, church. You're not paying attention. You don't want me to preach this, do you? Christ's patience grants you his attention. This is enormous. It allows us to demand his attention, to find him accessible, to have no fear of reprisal or rebuke. This is the thing that gives us the unconditional privilege of his familiar presence. This is what Christ gives to you. He is patient, and therefore, you have his attention. The uh, greatest way I've seen to explain this was in a, a Peanuts cartoon by Charles M. Schultz, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. Violet, his friend, is, is saying all those things to Charlie Brown. They always say, you know, oh, you're a blockhead, Charlie Brown, you're no good, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, Charlie Brown stops her, and he points to a plate glass window, and he says to her, see this? This is my dad's barbershop. He works in there all day long. He has to deal with all sorts of people, and some of them get kind of crabby. But you know what? I can go in there anytime, and no matter how busy he is, he'll always stop and give me a big smile. This is what Jesus is for you. You may think of him as busy, or you may think of him, oh, I've got to wait in line. There's people who have worse things going on with me. But Christ's patience towards you grants his attention for you. You my friend, are somebody special. Look, do you understand what this means? You are important. You are valued. I keep hearing that, that line from the help. Uh, Abilene Clark says, you know, you is important, you is kind, and you is smart, that kind of, anyway. <laughs> you are miraculously treasured in a way that no creature on earth besides you will ever know or will ever be. Like blind Bartimaeus, you are priceless friend of God. You're irrevocably, eternally loved. Your weakest plaintive whisper has the power to capture Almighty God's full attention. Christ's patience toward us grants his attention to us, and as, an ex as a result, we experience firsthand all the miraculous expressions of his love. Come on. Somebody needs to stomp their feet. Somebody needs to clap their hands and start saying, preach, preacher. And, I mean, we got something good going on here. All right, let me tell you one more thing that Christ's patience does for us. Look, uh, it is no mistake, I think, that Paul began his definition of love with the words, love is patient. I believe that was not an accident. And I'll tell you why. Because it is in Christ's patience that we begin to learn the beginnings of love. Christ is what love does, and in his example, in his example of patience, we begin to learn for ourselves what love is and what it does in our lives. And I'm going to tell you one story from my own life, and then we'll be done. Um, about four years ago, um, well, I told you, I, I, God and I, you, we, we use all the words, right? So that's important for this part of the thing. About four years ago, my family, my extended family, was going through a really, really difficult relational situation, and it was just hurtful. It was awful. I mean, lies were told, and accusations were made, and uh, Amy and I were just, at that time, at a loss for what to do. I mean, what do you do when there's such a bald-faced lie told about you? There's no way to defend yourself. You just, all you can do is pray. That's all you can do. In fact, uh, a few years later, when Amy was, was 
dying from cancer, she said, you know what, it's easier to face cancer now than it was to face that situation in our lives back then. So you get an idea of what the difficulty was that we were in. Just awful. And all I could do was pray, and I pray a lot, I pray constantly. And one day I'm walking into Panera Bread to buy a loaf of bread, and I'm just pissed off at God. Oh, can I say that? Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. If I hope there are no children. I was angry at God. And um, I'm walking into Panera, and I'm praying out my heart to him, and I'm telling him how angry I am about this whole situation. And I get to the end. I wrote this down so I would get it right. And I get to the end, and I said, all I can do is pray, Lord. But apparently you aren't interested in listening to my prayers right now. And I, you know what, I might have said a bad word in there right before interesting. Um, but I kid you not, at the exact moment that I prayed that sentence, you are interested in listening to my prayers. At that exact moment, my cell phone buzzed. And I was like, well, what's that? And some of you know I'm a writer, and so I've written stuff, and sometimes I get emails from people who've read my books. And I opened up my phone, and there was an email from someone who had read my book. And I just, all I'm going to do is read it to you. And remember, this is at the exact moment when I said, you aren't interested in listening to my prayers. I'm standing in line at Panera, and I read this. My name is Pauline, and I live in Abuja, Nigeria. Okay, that's not even close to my house, right? <laughs> so I just thought I'd point that out. And she said, I just finished reading your book, True Stories of Answered Prayer, for this year. Since I came in contact with it a couple of years ago, it has served as a faith strengthener for me. And this year, I just felt led to say thank you for taking the time to compile and publish them. May God continue to bless you. Right when I told God he had no interest in me whatsoever, he tapped a woman in Nigeria on the shoulder and said, Hey, Mikey needs to know I'm listening. Mikey needs to know it's going to be okay. God was patient toward me when I was being a little brat, when I was, I was bad-mouthing God to his face. He was long-suffering. He granted me his attention. He emboldened my faith. And his patience taught me anew the beginnings of love. So now I say, you know what? Jesus loves me, this I know. Because Jesus showed me so. That's how I know Jesus loves me, because he showed me. He showed me when he helped Bartimaeus, and he showed me when he dealt with me individually. All right, take 60 seconds, tell someone next to you how God's been patient with you, and then I think we have announcements. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at VintageCityChurch.com.